Welcome to the Jewish Diaspora, a podcast exploring the political, social, and cultural implications of life in diaspora. We are your hosts, Ben Yanowitz and Jordan Yanowitz. Unfortunately, we couldn't be joined by Zach Smarin for this because he's currently at the flagship event for the European Union of Jewish Students, where he's spending a week in Spain learning, networking, and organizing with Jewish students from across Europe. We're really excited that he is there because in the coming weeks, we will be having an episode with interviews that he is recording while he's there, as well as a discussion about what he's learning and his takeaways from the event. Today, we have a very special interview with my friend and colleague, Sion. Sion is part of the Abu Daya Jewish community, Jews from Uganda, who to some are still not recognized as Jewish. While he may not identify as a diasporist Jew, we believe that his story and that of his community is a salient example of the diversity of Jewish life across diaspora. Sion is a brilliant Jew who has done tons of his own study on scripture and developed his own authentically Jewish identity. At our summer camp, we were incredibly fortunate to have such a deeply knowledgeable representative from such an underappreciated part of the Jewish story. This interview was recorded at camp, outside, surrounded by trees and insects. Because of this, your ears might pick up a few cicadas or other bugs, which were keen to join in on our fascinating conversation. Unfortunately, while those cicadas got to join, I couldn't. Because Jordan recorded this at camp, neither Zach or I could join this interview. However, we're really happy that Jordan could record this interview because it's such an important part of the Jewish story that is left out by most mainstream histories and narratives. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation. We are carrying the stories of the ones who came before. What stories will be told of us when we are here no more? Commit ourselves to action, it brings meaning to our days. It's time to live our praise. It's 10 o'clock on July 21st, Monday. We're sitting in Camp Newman in the Meditation Grove. My name is Jordan. I'm a guest host for The Jewish Diasporist, a podcast focused on the social, cultural, and political dimensions of Jewish life in diaspora. And today I'm joined with Sion from Uganda and his first time at Newman in the U.S. as well. Sion and I have been working the last six weeks at a Jewish summer camp focused on nature programming helping campers learn how we live in community with one another in relationship with nature and with spirit. And over the last month and some, Sion and I have had the pleasure to have a few conversations about his own experiences, my own experiences, and Jewish life and all of its richness. And so today we're going to be talking a little bit about the story of the Abu Yudaya and Sion's connections to Judaism as a person and a living story. So today we're going to start with a simple question, lay some groundwork. What was your experience like growing up in your home community in Uganda? Well, I would say something really very interesting and fascinating. It's real a special experience because sometimes it's challenging because like you are with a diverse community whereby everyone have their own ideas and to some extent you have misunderstandings. But it's like sometimes I feel very happy though sometimes you feel like people are not into your ideas or they might not like you as a person but after some time you see a change. Like if people were doing something different you see at least they are proud to adopt to the change or what you have been introducing to the community as well. My Jewish life, I started as an Orthodox Jew, Sephard, and also lived in a conservative community for many years. And I have like an Orthodox that girl. Living in several communities, like it has really been challenging. Because I lived in the Orthodox community at first and it was really going well because that's where I started. Then later on I joined the conservative community whereby I was staying with them. They were very welcoming. I can't say, but in terms of ideas, it wasn't good. Like, it was really hard because different ideas, they think differently. And like being conservative, some of them think 
they are not supposed to do some things. Looking at like religious denominations as a limiting factor to people's abilities at some time or to some extent, because someone will say, okay, I'm conservative. Well, I can use my phone on Shabbat. And if you say, okay, you shouldn't use your phone, Shabbat, I say, I'm conservative. I can use it. And I ha- sometimes like they take it as a privilege that they have to use it. <laughs> so like maybe some of them don't use, but some of them say, okay, I can drive. And they think they have to drive. And that's same like exceptions to sometimes like the, the minhag to some people. A minhag? Yeah, minhag like a custom. So like, and that was really challenging, being Orthodox, saying, okay, I'm from an Orthodox community and I've joined you people. They'll take you as someone maybe outside of the community, mm-hmm. despite like practicing or what they are doing and going by their rules. Like I have this thing, like following house rules at most times. When I reach in a place, so I don't introduce my rules, but unless I see something is really going wrong, then I'll say maybe, maybe you shouldn't do it that way. Mm-hmm. So are the communities that you've experienced and lived in across Uganda, are they usually pretty dogmatic, pretty rigid in their laws and their customs? To some extent. And to some extent, I've ended up being kicked out of some communities. <laughs> <laughs> For violating their rules? Exactly. Like <laughs> trying to maybe bring in suggestions, uh, which I may think they might be fit. Maybe they would unify us, like, I always look at a perspective of things that are common among us rather than things that are different within us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, focusing on the common things would like bring more peace than, rather than like focusing on, okay, he's conservative, he's orthodox, like, oh, he's reform, he's conservative. Like, that thing, like, it brings in a lot of people, like, okay, why don't we say that we are all Jewish? Like, most times I always want to introduce myself as I'm a Jew without attaching, like, religious mm-hmm. domination to myself. So, like, by doing that, it allows me to experience all Jewish customs and everything. It allows me, like, maybe to go... Right now, I'm at Camp Newman, which is a reform camp. Mm-hmm. It allows me to do that because I know someone will say, okay, why are you doing at a reform camp? you Orthodox, why are you going there? Like, okay, I'm Jewish then. I can go there. They're Jewish. In Uganda, I live with non-Jewish people, and we can get along. How about my fellow Jewish people? We are all Jews, meaning we can still sit together, even though there are little differences, but they don't count. Mm-hmm. So some extent, like, okay, when I moved to, like, an Orthodox community, I was more like, there are things which conservatives are doing and they're good, mm-hmm. maybe better than the Orthodox. Hmm. So I reached there. Orthodox most times read prayers, everything in Hebrew, and, like, it's really very fast. That some extent, we leave some people behind. Absolutely. Yeah. And some people feel less connected to their communities, as we may think, because we think, okay, to some extent, someone will give a reason. Okay, we are doing it very fast because we don't want people to get fed up of this, because we don't want people to starve on Shabbat. Okay, it's Shabbat. You came here to pray, right? Okay. Why don't you give it time? Mm-hmm. So, like, that also, like, brought in a lot of chaos, because, like, okay, when I could lead services in an Orthodox community, I could be pretty slower than normal because mm-hmm. I felt like mainly the women were always left behind and sometimes like sleeping in the synagogue and they go back as if they have not done anything at all. Huh. So like when I could leave services, I could say, okay, at least this time we didn't sleep. You could wait for us to catch up and all that. And they really enjoyed it, but the men didn't like it. So hmm. they said, no, you really like making us stay in the synagogue for a very long time. To some point that I was interrupted during the Torah, like when removing the Torah from the ark, someone interrupts me and say, I was doing some prayer, which I'm supposed to do before taking the Torah out. And someone interrupts and says, no, just remove the Torah, we'd like to go. To that point, I tell him, if you want to go, please leave. (laughs) But to myself, I say, I will never lead prayers in the synagogue Hmm. again. Yeah, it takes a certain kind of spirit to interrupt someone sure. when they're saying a prayer to open up yeah, the, ark. the ark. Sure, like I did what they thought, but I never took back the Torah. Mm-hmm. So when the Torah reached the Bima, where it was supposed to be read from, I didn't work as the Gabai, call people up the Torah. So I called someone else, probably part of them, and took my seat. Mm-hmm. And I didn't step at the Bima again. So you're not I afraid did. of... Just stepping back, stepping out. Yeah, I just, most times I step out and leave them to continue. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want, like, chaos with people. Mm-hmm. So you can do how, if you feel like you do, don't want to learn, good. 
mm-hmm. to support you. But I have tried my best to tell you what's right. So I sit back and uh, the next day they call me. I tried to comment on something which was in the group. And they first give me a call. I actually first say, okay, you're not part of our community, please. You're not supposed to know anything about this community. Can I say, I got my thought that girl from this very community and I'm registered as part of this community, but I never felt connected to the community Mm. because... Because you had different beliefs. Different beliefs, different perspective, and probably from a different tribe. Yeah. Interesting. Sure. A new person in the community. Mm-hmm. I left the east to the central region. Whereby, like, okay, I know the language like that, but they t- don't know the language whereby most Jewish people are speaking in Uganda. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they feel like maybe you're coming to control them. Yeah. Because, like, most of the people know the language called Luguere, whereby most every Jewish person knows it. Yeah. So, like, they feel less connected to it as well, I think. Yeah. Uh, so we've so, talked about how your communities growing up studied Torah. Sure. And you yourself have done quite a lot of Torah study as well, even going as far as translating the Torah into Luganda, right? Sure. Would you want to share a little bit about this practice that has been a part of your daily life for many years now and how the intertextual elements and being fully engaged has shaped your own Jewish experience, your Jewish identity? Sure. Yeah, I would start maybe from where the Jewish people of Uganda came from. Once upon a time, there lived a man. It was about 100 years ago or more in Uganda. This man was a very disappointed man, I can say. What was he disappointed with? By the British or by the British colonialists. Mm-hmm. Like, they used him to obtain a lot of territories in Uganda. Mm-hmm. And he helped them to secure Uganda as a British protectorate mm-hmm. by then. He wanted always to be the king of the East. Eastern Uganda, but they never gave him that title. So, out of disappointment, when they turned down his ranks and all that, he was kind of a warrior and very diplomatic person, like he could talk to people. So, being disappointed, he resorted to study the Bible, which was given, and he could study it in Uganda. So, it had a lot of Christian perspective in it. He took his time, he joined some people, they were called Malachi. Yeah, it's like in Luganda they call it Malaki. Malachi? Yeah, Malachi. Malachi, yeah. In Luganda they call it Malachi, like K. Mm-hmm. So these people used to pray on Shabbat, which is Saturday, but they still believed in Jesus. So like, okay, he reads, he reads, he reads. And he says some things. Okay, he says, oh, the Malachi never did the British Miller. Hmm. They said, okay, that was the past. So they were believing in the New Testament too, so... They could say, okay, you don't breathe me, do me, why? Like he asked them. He says, no, if you're doing that, then you, it's for the Jewish people. Then, okay, he says, okay, I think I'll do this. Okay, but if you do that, then you'll be a Jew. He says, okay, I'm a Jew then. So like, he says, now I'm a Jew. The next day, like, he gets circumcised. Um, a few years later, he gets a child, circumcises him. And even the subsequent children he got, they got circumcised. And also like start teaching other people as he was someone who influenced teaches people around him and a lot of people bought into his idea. Hmm. That's how Judaism started. As I, a response to the Christian Exactly, as a response. Perspective. perspective. Interesting. Yeah. So, and this all came because he was disappointed and he had nothing to do. So, like, he sat, he has been disappointed, nothing, he can't do anything yet. He has a lot of time. So, like, to come maybe as a way of, like, revenge to the British or to the colonists, like... Or a he, spiritual... Sure adventure so to speak a way to forge their own destiny perhaps pick their direction and strive towards it exactly yeah and that's how that man calls himself a jew and that's how judaism starts hmm. till like the 1960s 1970s whereby again we had like someone was very cruel was called i mean a lot happened and uh, we also had like the plane which was hijacked air france in 1976 and we have you know like yoni netanyahu died in that instant mm-hmm Israel lost a soldier, but several Ugandan soldiers died too. Hmm. Sometimes they say, okay, it was seven days at Entebbe, but it was nine years with Id Amin for the Jewish people of Uganda. So it was really more tough than maybe the seven days. And could you explain a little bit more who Id Amin was? Id Amin, that, that, that was the president of Uganda, mm-hmm. who at one time also trained in Israel huh. as a paratrooper. Okay. So he was like a heavyweight champion. By then, before that, yeah, was like a sports person. Sure. 
so I did like won a lot of like boxing championships like in 1950s in the 1950s it was a general then he captured power when the president left for a conference before he came he said okay I'm now the president don't come back what yeah he did the coup <laughs> oh my goodness yeah and he ruled for nine years by the way yeah so like to some extent some people how did he affect the Jewish communities of Uganda I'm really not sure it wasn't really specifically the Jewish people hmm. he was tough to everyone Yeah. who was a threat to his power. Huh. It was not specifically maybe Jews because every person respected really toughness. Mm-hmm. Economically, Uganda was up. Huh. Yeah. He's someone who never liked corruption. The way you could deal with corruption if you were corrupt, you die. That's it. Yeah. You don't live again. He liked development. If he says something good, he says, okay, when he travels maybe to US and says, okay, there are good roads and things. Okay, he comes back to Uganda, start now. You don't have to say we are planning or doing this like this way. I need here to look like how it is. An authoritarian. Exactly. <laughs> like yeah. more of a dictator. But. Yeah. And things pretty worked. Uganda was really good by then huh. in terms of development. But though a lot of people died, but I think like current people, very many people have died than they have been killed. Sure. But... Like they have been killed in silence. Like so. There, okay, he could kill like in the open, and everyone could know he did it. Hmm. Yeah. So like some still like after two years after the incidents, like people still they like ah, uh, we had like the same present again, like Obote came back. Okay. Yeah. So that happened like with the Jewish people too. They, they were never allowed to practice like Judaism. Then later on, they had like from my ekibos to revive Judaism. And when was that? That was after the reign of Vidamin. Like it was in the nineteen eighties now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how. Because he was he ruled from nineteen seventy one to nineteen seventy nine. Then he was taken out mm-hmm. by the Tanzanian and rebels. And who came back to form this kibbutz? The people we had some people called Samson Mugombe, who were the students of Semeka Kunguru by then. That guy who was disappointed by the British. Yeah. Yeah, but he died in around 1928, I think. So he didn't live for long. So uh, he had students. Yeah, he had students. So one of the students who took was like Samson Mugombe really took on the traditions very well and they really had other people whom they always had arguments with, but they tried to move along. Mm-hmm. They had children. So this guy Samson Mugombe had daughters who were young by then. So what he decides is to give his daughters to different men who were actually even old so that maybe the Jewish community could thrive because if his daughters could go out they wouldn't be Jewish and also there was some kind of tradition whereby women were not allowed to eat chicken and all that so like he did one trick that his daughters could eat the chicken so who would want to take a woman who eats chicken so like okay the Jewish people take their daughters and that's all right <laughs> <laughs> he made it like Is that still a thing in Uganda? No. Women don't eat chicken. It's no longer there. But some still those who lived in those days they still yeah. don't some. Interesting. Yeah, but right now they do eat. So like they appreciate that culture. Mm-hmm. So that's how he won it. So these people mostly they gave birth to boys mm-hmm. who moved on the community and from that one of the grandchildren is like Rabbi Gashom. And these people grew up in the kibbutz? Yeah, in the kibbutz. Mhm. Yeah, they come also get wives from the kibbutz. Like girls could come to the kibbutz and boys. So like, they actually they could just appoint wives. By then you couldn't have a choice. They say okay. Is that like an arranged marriage? Exactly, like more of arranged marriage. Okay, so and so you're going to marry so and so. They would even bring for you the girl without even your consent. They oh, bring yeah. her there. Maybe she would stay there maybe two years. Like, but still she'll be your wife. After some time, you learn to love her. And. <laughs> That's how like the Jewish community like thrived. Yeah, so it's a little autocratic, but it grew the community. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah, so like after some time, it goes goes like then around the late two thousands, we have the first conversion ever. It was a conservative conversion. So would you explain a little bit more why there was this conversion and how it affected your own Jewish experience and identity? Before we had the form, it's something whereby what I'm speaking is something you not get maybe in any any of the websites. About the Abayudai, or the first maybe people to approach like Abayudai for conversion were Reform Jews. It's not strange because they are more inclusive mm-hmm. and having like that inclusive aspect within them. Like okay, they need to like have every Jewish person closer to them. But these people being converts and having faced a lot of challenges, and the way the traditions of the Reform Judaism were, they thought it wasn't worth their sacrifices. Hmm. So they said no. 
we can't live like that because it's in vain. We didn't do for anything. Because we left the other side thinking it's going to be different, very different, but much close to the other side. So they said no. Hmm. They wanted a more strict a More laws, strict laws, more exactly. Regular ritual. Mm-hmm. So they said, okay, in good terms, we appreciate your kindness and everything, mm-hmm. but it's not worth it. Because it was a lot that had gone through and a lot that lost maybe even relatives because they are no longer connecting to each other mm-hmm. due to Judaism. So they wanted something gotcha. more strict. So an Orthodox rabbi comes, ultra-Orthodox, they accept. They say, okay, I think we should go by this. But this Orthodox rabbi fails to make a bait din. A what? A bait din. Which is? Uh, which can convert the people there. In the eyes of the institutions? Exactly. In the Judaism. eyes of the institutions, yeah. Judaism. Like, as you know, like right now, like they say they will go out to convert people, but they never do. Hmm. So like he tries to form a bait din, he fails, so he gives up. Then later on, the conservative community, the rabbinic assembly, like Union for Conservative Judaism in the U.S., so goes there for them. Of course, they had like debated in so they do their conversion in 2002. But still, there are a lot of arguments. They don't approve it. Who doesn't approve it? The Minister of Interior and Jaffe. Israel, the, yeah. head dra- the head rabbi. Yeah, they don't approve it. They say, okay, they're a community, but how did they become Jewish? They didn't have a rabbi. <laughs> so we had no rabbi by then. Mm-hmm. It surprises study. me that the reform movement was the first to approach the Abu Yudaya. Sure. But within Reform Judaism, we kind of have this understanding that if you're part of a Jewish community and you follow Jewish traditions and you say you're Jewish, then you're Jewish. And then they still felt the need to say, like, we can, you know, make this relationship more institutionalized or more codified. And it seems kind of hypocritical within the Reform movement. Sure. But from conservative or orthodox perspectives where you need a, a rabbi to ordain you as Jewish as part of a conversion. Sure. Yeah, it's, there's, there's a lot of tensions within these different movements that are all Jewish. Yeah. And it's, it's very re- interesting. Yeah, it's really a lot. So, like, they don't approve it. They said they didn't have a rabbi. So, like, you can wonder, like, even this rabbi to go to, someone to go to a rabbinical school, he needs to be Jewish. Mm-hmm. So how is he going to be Jewish when he can't be Jewish? Like... It's a circle. It's a There's circle. There's no way to become Jewish. Yeah, it's like denying someone the, the right to be Jewish. Like, yeah. Okay, he studies still. Actually, they went with his brother, came with his brother mm-hmm. to the U.S., and they had their conversion in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, his brother called JJ. It's your love, you know, dove. Mm-hmm. So they have a conversion, then they go make a conversion there. So he studies like rabbinical. In 2008, he gets ordained. They still do another conversion. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now it's valid. But still, they don't accept it. And then later in 2016, they recognize, okay, they say, okay, you recognize community. But still, they say, later on, at now, they say, you are an imagined community. An imagined community. Yeah, imagined. A community that you've lived in. You've and lived in, just imagining, and like, it's upcoming. Emerging. Yeah. Okay. An emerging community. Emerging community. But this community's been around for... More than 100 years. More than 100 years. Interesting. Yeah. So... Is this some kind of... Okay. Does that mean the Israel, the, the colonists have only been there a hundred years? Mm-hmm. Are they an emerging Jewish yeah, community? Yeah, emerging Jewish community, but the community has lived for more years than the state of Israel has lived. Yeah, exactly. So, and you tell them an emerging Jewish community. Yeah, I feel like that hurts a little bit. It really hurts. Yeah. But we can live with it. We know we can get along with each other. So. And you're still Jewish. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> they can't take that away from you. Yeah. Not everyone in Israel thinks that way, that mm-hmm. we are an emerging community. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it's more like political like that, maybe. We don't understand that. So my, it comes to my connection to Judaism now. Like, why do I decide to do the translation? It is through Luganda that we were able to become Jewish. Your own Jewish voice. Uh, voice, yeah. It is through this language whereby we feel like more connected and being when you're speaking it or you're reading it from the Torah or the Chumash, you feel much more connected and you feel like you're being talked to mm-hmm. rather than hearing a story. Sure. Yeah. So the challenge was that there were previous Luganda translations of the Torah, which were Christian. And you see like in the middle, there is references to the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And it was really kind of like a threat to our Jewish community. Hmm. Because if people keep reading this and it's connected to the other side, people will not gain a full understanding of what we need. 
So I decided to sit down, do the translation, including in my ideas, which had been studying for about three consecutive Jewish cycles, mm -hmm. and try to put them in. It's a translation, but it's not just a translation. Like there's kind of encrypted message within, whereby if you get your time and read it, portion by portion, you realize a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And you come to ask yourself, why is this like this? Why is this like this? So a lot of things have changed. And it's also good if you have like maybe even the English one and that you'll see a lot of differences mm -hmm. whereby there are things whereby, okay, we have like khatat being translated as sin offering. Whereby if you translate as sin offering, you're telling people to focus more about sin. Mm -hmm. So use cleansing offering. Yeah. People, so it's not focusing sin, it's on focusing sin. the becoming clean. Clean, yeah. Because mm -hmm. like you can't tell me, okay, we have a woman who just gave birth. Mm -hmm. Did she commit a sin to give birth? <laughs> I don't think so. But so, I suppose some Christians might take that perspective. Exactly. So why do you still call it a sin? Like, why do you call it a sin offering? So taking it as a cleansing offering is much better and kind of positive rather mm -hmm. than focusing on sin. Absolutely. And consider ourselves as a learning people rather than people who are sinning every time. Yeah. So, and also there's a word like, People always translate as fear. You shall fear the Lord your God. It's not good. It's not a good word. Because mm -hmm. like fear disconnects you from something. Yeah, absolutely. So like we prefer using the word awe. You owe. Yeah. Interesting. Awe. Yeah. Or in awe? Yeah, in awe. Yeah. Not you owe, in awe of something. Like yes. You're connected to it, mm -hmm. but as also like respect for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In a state of shock. Exactly. So you, in your communities, you use Luguele, that's right? That's the tribal language? Yeah, it's the tribal language. And you would also read it in Hebrew, the Torah in mm -hmm. Hebrew. Yeah. And would you also have an English version when you're studying? Yeah, we have the English version and we have the Luganda version, mm -hmm. which I did. The Christian the... version as well as the now? Yeah, as now Jewish the Jewish version. version. So I, I call it a Jewish translation, not just like yeah. a Jewish translation. And so you, there's a lot of different versions of the same text that exactly. you're reading and discussing. Discussing. Sure. And so how has that multilingual community that you've been in, how has that shaped how you think about the diversity of Jewish thought or how we struggle with the text and struggle with these ideas? So what I can say, like, most every language is unique. That's if I think, like, there are very things special about different languages. Mm -hmm. Like, when you read the Torah in Hebrew, mainly the names, there's something in it. It's just a name. If you read it in English, it's just a name. But when you read it in Hebrew, it brings some sense. Hmm. There's something deeper to it. There's the something deeper to it other mm -hmm. than the other way. There are some words whereby they really mean something different on the other side. Sometimes you might read it in English. English being diverse of words, like you can have very many opinions about something, mm -hmm. translate the same word for different ways. And it's also like something beautiful, like you're not tying something to a specific answer, but diversifying to mm -hmm. everything. And when you come to the Luganda language, it's more of emphasizing. You feel like being talked to. Like, okay, when we talk about the daughters of Zelofkad, mm -hmm. some translations say what they're saying is just. But in Luganda, so what the daughters are saying, Songa, like something like, it's important. If you really try to bring it back to English again, mm -hmm. it means what they're really talking about is important and it should be given attention. Yeah, these are the words. Yeah. <laughs> so like, it should be given attention, not just, okay, it's just like, mm -hmm. and you see the word which is used as not sedek, mm -hmm. something different. Interesting. So when you read it again in Hebrew, something very different. Reading like in multilingual or um, several languages really gives like several understandings of things. And maybe sometimes you understand why other people are thinking differently than you are thinking. Mm -hmm. By not saying that everyone should follow this and giving like room for other opinions. I think something like really very beautiful. Like, okay, when you come to the volume, these are the words. Like if you go, these are the words that he spoke to them. It's more of like, okay, I know you guys. You haven't been so good, but please, maybe. And this is Moses pleading. Yeah, Moses pleading. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you have been good. You have gone through a lot. So be strong. It's more of encouragement, criticism, mm -hmm. and appreciation or showing gratitude. Yeah. And so that tone been. doesn't come across in every language. No, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes maybe it, you may have it if you read it carefully, if you give attention to it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Even though it's in Hebrew, so these are the words. In Uganda, is you know, Vievi Gambo. It's really like something whereby it makes sense if you give your attention to it. 
and whereby again you are saying it's said to all Israel. Mm-hmm. So we have most times like whereby Moshe is addressing Bnei Israel, addressing the Nesim or the heads of Israel, like addressing maybe an Ada, a community. Is it a community? Like maybe like a congregation, yeah. something like that. So like very different terms being used, and here like in the volume says call Israel. All Israel, like mm-hmm. everyone inclusive, not just the biological children of Israel, mm-hmm. but all Israel as a nation. All the people who all identify as, as Israel. Israel. Yeah. yeah. So, and I think maybe some people don't read that. They don't pay attention to that. Like, yeah. That's Especially why, when it's translated the exact same way. Exact same way. Yeah. So, to some extent, people try to comment a lot of, about it. And I think sometimes maybe you should give more attention to some things. And reading like Parasha, like the Torah in context and perspective, rather than faith, just only faith. Okay, believing in God, yes, we do, and believing in the words of Torah. But read them in perspective. Your perspective about the Torah shows the perspective you have about daily life. Mm-hmm. The perspective which you have about other people. It's really like if they could read that, like he spoke to all Israel, meaning he was speaking to those who were there by that time. Those who were listening. Who were listening. Are listening. Those who were not there by that time. And those who will yeah. come. So, like, it's something real fascinating mm-hmm. whereby you see that. And there's also, like, where it says those who are not standing with us today and those who are not who are here with us. Mm-hmm. Like, addressing everyone inclusive. And, like, most times they say, okay, you say, my. There's this statement always like, an Aramean was my father, talking about Abraham. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they always, I don't know why, they always twist it to, like, and a serf treated him badly. I don't know why. I mean, actually, they said Lavan like treated Yaakov like in an ill way. So, but we, when you read very well, like you see that Yaakov was the one. Lavan asked him, "Okay, you cannot work for free for me. Mm-hmm. What are your wages?" Like, okay, he could work for free and still get nothing, but still, like a uh, I mean, Lavan offers him something. What can I pay you? Okay, you're someone who's related to me. It doesn't mean that you should work for free. Mm-hmm. It was that bad? Why would you call yourself, I mean, Lavan, a bad person? Just pure reading your own context into the text. Like, sure. this, this appears bad to me. So that's what I read. Yeah. yeah. So like, he, he could still, if it was someone else, he could still not pay that. Mm-hmm. Yakov. So it's really kind of very different. Yeah. So your Jewish life is very textually attuned. It's very grounded in a personal engagement with Torah, Tanakh, Chumash, and others. How has that struggle to find your own meaning within the text affected your life within the communities you grow up in, especially with the process of going and translating the whole Torah and reaching out to rabbis and trying to find your own way in the community? Sure. Yeah, it's been like having like different perspectives about this. Personality has made me a lonely person. Hmm. I haven't come like to live so closely to the community or within the community. But sometimes I try to take that as positive mm-hmm. and try to use that loneliness and maybe to the advantage of the community still. Hmm. So like it was about loneliness that I got time and still did the translation mm-hmm. and like work on several projects, which I still help the community. And so most times I feel like rejected within the community, but still I don't stop. Because like mm-hmm. most times I'm always looking at what's unifying us. What I don't want to talk about the differences we have. Yeah, I always want to talk about what's common amongst us. Like. Okay, if we have a lot of things that are very different from us, like, just look for one thing that brings us together. Mm-hmm. If you feel like there's nothing in Judaism that connects us, but we are all human beings. Sure, absolutely. We live in the same community. We live in the same location. Yeah. We have the same blood and everything. Like, why don't we take that? We are all humans. Mm-hmm. Why don't we maybe unite that we are all humans rather than saying? Absolutely. Focusing on differences. Mm-hmm. They really don't count. So having peace is the most thing we can have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why to some extent I went ahead and like invited my non-Jewish neighbors for Pesach at wow. my home. So I, and was I, that received well? Yeah, they received it well. They were happy about it and they liked it. Nice. So they came to know about me. None of them knew I was Jewish. So you're not very open with your Judaism no, in your community at home? N- not really open because some people are really like insultive. Mm-hmm. They always insult you. They always say, what is this? Jews are bad people. Sometimes when they go to the, maybe the market, maybe it's your keeper, they say, okay, sometimes I have to put on a cup so they don't see it. Because if they say it, they see there was someone who even refused to sell you something because you're a Jew. Right? Mm. So there's some everyday anti-Semitism. Uh, yeah, anti-Semitism. Like someone will say, okay, no, 
Jewish, I don't like Jewish people. Mm-hmm. You say it when you're hearing, I, you do nothing. Yeah. What are you going to do? So just keep quiet. Some extent, like whereby I've been confronted with some people whom you think they're people of dignity and someone tells you, you can't be Jewish. A fellow African, you think I can't be Jewish. Like, so, and that's something that happened when I was at school. Yeah. Trying to have my menucha somewhere in a corner. This man comes with a bodyguard. Yeah, he had a bodyguard. So he asked me, what do you think? Are you Jewish? I told him, of course, I'm Jewish. He said, no, Jewish people are not black. Wow. And yeah. so there's, you're kind of being put in multiple categories. And exactly. Here you are just a human trying to live your trying. life. Exactly. So, and the thing of sometimes like, okay, we are talking about like BIPOC. Yeah. But sometimes I feel uncomfortable like talking about saying, categorizing some Jews in something. Yeah. We're all Jewish. We are all Jewish. So like, black Jewish of color and all that. Okay. It's good. You're, it's good. Like you're really like showing you care about us. You show you love us. But I think sometimes it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's good. Like we don't just talk. We don't talk about some things because let's look about what's really common among us. Yeah. Because just by focusing on the things that are not important, important. and harmful in the past, we yeah. kind of reify. We bring them sure. back into the present. Exactly. Like Sure. Like we are talking about that, and I think maybe we can move on. Yeah, so in America, we do have a long history of you know racism and institutionalized sure. systemic perpetuation of racism. And a lot of people are trying to deconstruct that and like trying to go down to the bedrock and figure out how can we change you know our relationship with each other into one of coexistence, you know. Recognition that we're all humans first, you know, we're Jewish people, we're living, and we, especially in a Jewish summer camp, we should be living in the moment, in the present, in the community that we've been building. That moment, that presence that we're living in can be affected by the past, and your community growing up was also very much affected by its history. Ben was interested in the question of how your identity as an African Jew has been impacted by the history of colonialism, which you've already mentioned. It started with the British imperialists and how the Holocaust might have been part of that history that affected how Jews are understood in Israel, the world, Uganda, in your own life. Sure. To some extent, when you read about history, Uganda was one of the places whereby selected to settle like the Jewish people there. But okay, also like had that idea. But I think most Jews were very comfortable staying where they are right. and moving to the land of Israel. Absolutely. So it's not until, because like Judaism starts even before the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Well before. Well before the Holocaust in Uganda. And like this, I don't think the Holocaust started with the Jews. Right. Many people have been killed in Africa and no one like talks about it. Yeah, there's a famous quote that the Nazi regime came out of colonialism coming yeah. home to roost. Like sure. it has already been going on for generations yeah. in Africa and Sure. Like y- you can wonder like someone coming to your home and they start saying, "You you're going to take this. For you take this part. Okay, for you you're going to take the bedroom and you're going to take like Without your idea. And they will even tell you, so for you, you're supposed to live here. Maybe you live in the backyard. The owner of the home. How do you feel? Yeah, you're just getting ordered around even though it's also your place. Your place. And someone does that. Very comfortable in his place. Mm-hmm. So it's still something very annoying, but I think no one has the right to do that. Absolutely not. This being like colonialism, if it wasn't colonialism, maybe we wouldn't be Jewish. We appreciate. They brought the Bible. And from that, we were able to get what is really important to us and live out. Mm-hmm. But you had to subvert the Christian narrative that was e- being put exactly. forth in order to find that Judaism. Sure. Yeah. Sometimes I really don't, okay, people Jews fast because the Torah was translated into another language. I don't fast on that day. Because if I do, I would be a hypocrite to myself. It's like I'm not happy to be Jewish. Why do I have to be mourning for something that made me Jewish? If the Torah was not translated, I wouldn't be Jewish. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't know about what Judaism is. Yeah. So you're not mourning colonialism. I'm you're not mourning colonialism. I'm celebrating the, the reality and I'm really celebrating. I appreciate. They brought the Bible and I would say thank you. And the good thing, why I would say thank you, they didn't remove what is there. They did not remove the Torah. They mm-hmm. left it there. So it's all about choice. So they were trying to teach like New Testament, yeah. like focusing on faith mm-hmm. and believing and life after, day. after death. Yeah. But I think trying to take you out from the reality, which is now, you should focus on the life now. So like the good thing, they left that reality within the Bible. 
they did not take out the Torah. They left yeah. them there. And like, out of disappointment, people found time to read. Huh. Okay, maybe, okay, they are telling me this, but they are not allowing it to read. But, okay, you gave me, let me try to read it. So when you go through, you find the reality. Mm-hmm. And it again becomes a threat to them. But I would, yeah. I thank them that they gave people a choice. Though some, they tried to hide it, but they still couldn't remove it from there. Yeah, they gave you the opportunity to struggle with the text yeah. or maybe not you took the opportunity the opportunity to struggle, to with, the struggle text. with the text yeah. and to find your own interpretation and kind of reject what was being pushed down from above the people who are sure. giving you the bible yeah but you know using that as a way to struggle against kind exactly. of that colonial so, instinct yeah and from this we have learned to take like every situation to our advantage, however challenging it might be, mm. and take it as an opportunity. Be hopeful, everything is for the good. Everything be for the good, and it was, right? Mm. That's how I became Jewish. And I think most times we shouldn't always mourn because things are not going well on our side. Yeah. So like most times we mourn for the better Mikdash being destroyed. But I think to some extent, maybe we should show gratitude. Mm-hmm. What that change has brought about. Better Mikdash being destroyed. This what is the second temple. Second temple. What change did it bring? It's more very positive. Yeah, I mean, Judaism emerged following that. Following that, like, everyone can, like, pray, can worship, can everyone can become Jewish. Like, we don't depend on animal sacrifices. Animal sacrifices. Priests, like, yeah, we have communities. Exactly. Like, right now, you're depending more of, like, how we interact with other people mm-hmm. rather than sinning and taking a sacrifice. And you see that now our life is not more focused on sin, but rather than learning. And life. And life. Itself. So I think it's beautiful. Yeah, so, absolutely. I think maybe people should always learn everything happens for the good. However much it's pressing you. Okay, we say Holocaust happened. Yes, it did happen. Mm-hmm. It was very sad. I don't like it. But it led something very good. We have the state of Israel. For if better it, or for worse? Sure, for better or for worse. If it wasn't the Holocaust, the Jews would say, no, I'm living a good life. Why do I need to go to Israel? Why? My family, we moved to America before the Holocaust, before... World War II started. And a lot of people were already moving. Sure. The diaspora was expanding in the early 1900s. And why didn't they move to Israel? It was a political question. And I think there was an economic answer, frankly. That's why people say, if things are going bad, they'll always say, find a reason, say, okay, but how do I go there? I don't have enough money. The conditions are not good, okay? Mm -hmm. So economically, you don't have money, you can't buy a ticket to Israel, or you cannot support yourself in Israel. And when things are good, you say, okay, everything is good here. Why why do I need to go there? I'm living a very good life here. Mm -hmm. So change comes out of... Yeah, so in all circumstances, people have excuses to something. That's why, like, I prefer reading, like, in Shemot, not saying, let my people go. It's not like that. It's send send out, send them out. If you're not willing to go, they will send you out. They will drive you out. Mm -hmm. We have to be willing to go with the change. It's a change. And that's why like, people always don't want to go. Like Most times like, they wait for something, things to really get bad mm-hmm. before they think, okay, maybe I shouldn't be here. Yeah, and so that's where we really need to be working to build that better future, to know that we're on the right path forward or otherwise, you know, if we're just sitting still and being complacent, we can end up where we don't want to be. We have to recognize and go with the change. So I just wanted to wrap up with one last question. From the history of the Abu Daya and their relationship with Jews of different denominations and non-denominations, what do you think is something that Jews across diaspora should learn about Judaism or about the fact of living across the world and how we relate to each other, how we relate to our homes? What can we learn from that history? I think to some extent, maybe you have to consider everything, be positive about everything. And always be hopeful and optimistic that things are going to be better. Because you can't prove hope. You cannot prove it, but it's good to have it. Because someone who doesn't have hope can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Can even maybe even take their own life. So about that, despite the challenges, they have always like, loved to be Jewish. And always persisted and done everything to remain Jewish. Mm-hmm. And it's the most beautiful thing maybe the world should learn about. We all struggle in the same way. We all have the same challenges. Mm-hmm. When an anti-Semite finds a Jew, black, white, any color, he'll say you're Jewish and I don't like you. He'll not say because you're black, I'll treat you very well. No way. Even though it's your fellow black, he'll say, no, you're a Jew. Being orthodox or conservative or reform, I think looking at what unifies us and also maybe being able to experience what other people experience. 
coming at Newman has like taught me a lot of things. Never to judge people before you live with them or before you know how they think, their perspective and why they do that. Mm. There's something I found here like which is not anywhere. People having being Jewish. Loving being Jewish. Yeah. Yeah. It is something I wouldn't ever say in my life. It's something which I said at Newman for the first time. I love being Jewish. Like, wow. I was never being proud like being Jewish like being It has always been a struggle. A struggle. Here it's a little easier. It's right? very easier. Everyone is almost Jewish everyone around you and everyone is accepting. Mm-hmm. And I look like all, all of us can give in our own way. So combining all that, that's why even like even in the tribes of Israel, not all of them were talented in the same things. Mm-hmm. Yehuda is talented in the same different Lev, uh, Levi different differently, and all other people differently, and that's what makes a nation. Being able to bring up all those skills, mm-hmm. our community even. Yeah, our community. So like, if we think, how about we think about this way? Okay, reform loves being Jewish. How comes? What if they come and teach others how to be Jewish, how to love to be Jewish? Mm-hmm. How comes? What if they teach everyone the love for Judaism? Yeah, I mean, I I would assume that Orthodox people as well could teach a whole lot to Reform, and we could form yeah, some maybe, sort maybe of. Yeah, maybe maybe those come re- teach about the Torah and everything, like how being how observant, how can you be observant? Maybe when a diverse community or in diaspora. Mm-hmm. How about if you come together, like join all our skills? Orthodox, you are not good at saying you love being Jewish. Reform has that. Why can't we allow them to teach us that? Yeah, it's a great question. So let's consider like we cannot give in the same way. Not all of us can give in the same way. Yeah. But we can give differently and when you bring everything together. Like, yeah, I feel like a true community can only be made real when we can sure. all bring our full person into it. You know, we can all find a way to understand the world that relates to the whole in a positive way, in a yeah. way that we can all live kind of harmoniously. Sure. There isn't tension. So it's something where by like living in several communities, I've lived in a Orthodox community, I've lived in a conservative community, I've lived in a reform community now. And I understand what's all to be Jewish. Hmm. And I've learned a lot. I can live anywhere comfortably. Hmm. I know if I'm living in a reform environment, I'm very comfortable living there. Living in an Orthodox environment, I'm comfortable in a conservative environment, I'm very comfortable. And some people think see it as uncomfortable. Some people, some rabbis, because he's conservative, he cannot enter an orthodox synagogue. He cannot... What, what the hell is that like? You're looking at as an abomination, like level of quality. Mm-hmm. Something like you cannot do. I think like to some extent, like having, identifying ourselves as something limits us and limits our abilities and changes the way we look at things mm-hmm. and others. So I asked you to share some teachings from the history, but you also gave some of teachings of your own. Do you think there's anything that you can teach us about Judaism, about what it means to be a Jew without having to put a qualifier on the front of that, being Reform or sure. Zionist or whatnot? Yeah, yeah. To some extent, most times, like being able to do what you love, because most times, not looking for our say recognition, not recognition, acknowledgement from someone else that you're Jewish. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important for yourself to first acknowledge that you're Jewish, mm-hmm. to affirm that identity. To affirm that identity, I'm Jewish, and that's why coming here, like to the reform, like I love being Jewish. You first tell it to yourself. Absolutely. Then someone said, "Wow, okay, he loves being Jewish, and it's a pleasure to be a Jew." Right. Yeah. So sometimes doing what you love is really important and being persistent and resilient on something and being hopeful that things will work out is the most important thing in life that you can have. Mm-hmm. And you find that within Judaism? That is a central teaching? No. No? <laughs> it's sure, it's not there. So sometimes, like we say, okay, there is no... I would not always think people believing in Moshiach is going to come and save you. Like, life here, being good to other people and having positive relationships and healthy relationships with other people is much more important than being holy. Hmm. Yeah. Say, like, you're very holy. And because when you say you're holy, you disconnect yourself from other people or from the community. You can't even just say from a Nazarite. Like, okay, he says he's going to be very clean. He's very going to be very, like... Pure. Pure. But at the end of it, always bring a cleansing offering. Why? Because we're not pure enough. <laughs> Yeah, but other people, the normal person, not get bringing it yeah. for being normal. So, like, I think to some extent, just be like other people. Don't try to be above others. Yeah, be a part of the community, not exactly the, the head of it. Sure. Yeah, and also like being out of the community doesn't mean you're not part of the community. Mm, you can still participate. You can still participate. And you've done that in your own ways. Yeah, absolutely. Though some people may think, okay, it doesn't pray. It doesn't come for the morning minion. True. But sometimes I'm using that time to study Torah. 
sometimes. Mm-hmm. And maybe I may pray at a different time. I may not be able to come to the synagogue to join the minion, but I think sometimes like maybe it's important. And yet still all the way out here in California, you're joining yeah. textual study groups and sure. minions from Uganda and Israel of miles away. away. Sometimes it's really interesting that we are having like trust studies. Mm-hmm. People are in Uganda, people are in Minneapolis, some are in Israel, some here in California, and you're all connected. Yeah. It's something really beautiful and we should appreciate. It's a miracle of the modern times. Yeah. There's going to be people that hear these words all the way across the globe. Sure. And hope that this, these teachings help us all affirm a little bit more of our own Jewish identities sure. and lives in the world. That's going to conclude the recording for today. I hope you have a wonderful afternoon or day, whatever time you listen to your podcast. To sing what's good and true, to bring about redemption, it's what we were freed to do. For what's the point of being here if we're not moved to change our ways? It's time to live our praise. We are carrying the stories of the ones who came before. What stories will be told of us when we are here no more? We commit ourselves to action. It brings meaning to our days. It's time to live our praise It's up to us to own the vision We are an answer to a call It's up to us to live the words we speak For the benefit of all It's up to us to bow down deeply there's a broken world to raise. Aleinu lishabeya. It's time to live our praise. Aleinu lishabeya. It's time to live.